Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Can We Please Talk podcast. Mike Leon here with our legal analyst, Dave Herbacken, joins the program. Dave, thanks for hopping on for a couple minutes to talk about all this going on in the, in the media right now with, with the Trump campaign. Well, thanks for having me. So I uh, wanted to get to a couple questions here that we have, uh, and we brought you on. You, you've been a practicing attorney for a long time. You have a lot of different experiences in the legal field. And the Trump campaign, uh, obviously, right now has been in the news because of all the lawsuits that they've been filing in the different states. So I wanted to kind of break down a couple of those and ask you some legal questions around that. Um, the first one is the, the Trump campaign uh, filed a lawsuit on Monday to block the state officials from certifying uh, you know, President-elect Joe Biden. And then... Earlier today, the the, Pennsylvania judge ruled actually in favor of the Trump campaign, ordering the state that they can't count some ballots. Now, again, the the state had already started segregating some ballots, and we'll get into that. But um, officials say that this won't actually affect the overall total since uh, President-elect Biden is is leading by about 56,000 votes right now. So from a legal standpoint, the the, the two issues happening in PA, um, the lawsuit to certify the results of the election, and then the victory, the small victory that they got today in court. Um, take me through from a legal standpoint what each means. Uh, well, as far as the certification, uh, the reason why they try to prevent that is because once it's certified, then the slate of electors that would go forward in December um, and actually cast their vote um, for president um, would not be awarded you know, until the election is certified. So, so that's what that suit is seeking to do, the Monday suit, right. the reference. As far as the one today um, in which uh, the Trump campaign actually won, what they won was a victory 
in that the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania, um, so the original deadline was November 9th in order to cure any ballots. So if, the, you know, if there was not a signature or something like that, uh, you know, a person would have an opportunity to cure the ballot up until uh, November 9th. The Secretary of State on her own extended that deadline uh, to the 12th, I believe. It might have been the 13th, but I'm pretty sure it was the 12th okay. uh, of November. Uh, what the court said was that she could not um, extend that deadline, that it had to be based on the law until the 9th. So any ballot after the 9th would not be able to be counted. Now, as you mentioned, those ballots were already segregated and they're not being included in the count whatsoever. So if you, you know, while we're hearing, you know, the numbers of a, of a 56,000 um, vote lead, that doesn't include any of these ballots. So it, while it is a legal victory, it has no actual effect uh, on on the count or anything that we uh, know up to, to up to this point. Right. And and I, I want to read earlier, this is from an article in Forbes that the Philadelphia Inquirer actually uh, as sourced in this article was saying that it was probably a small number of flag ballots, about 2,100 that had identification issues. So it speaks to what you said. And Judge Mary Hannah Levitt um, actually said that she lacked statutory authority to change the deadline, which is what you alluded to earlier. So I wanted to give some context there. Um, for the other states that the president is trying to mount uh, legal challenges in, um, I just want to read you real quickly a couple of different um, lawsuits that have been thrown out in the different states. Uh, two cases in Michigan alleging lack of transparency. Both cases have been denied a request to delay the certification of the election results in Georgia. A judge dismissed the Trump lawsuit last week that alleged ballots received after 7 p.m. were mixed in with legitimate ballots, right? And, and Judge Bass, who presided in that case, ruled that there was no evidence that the ballots referenced in the petition were received after 7 p.m. So those are just two states. And then um, we know some of the other uphill challenges. There, there was one in Arizona about the Sharpies being used as opposed to uh, pens at, at the ballot. Um, as an attorney, um, what the people, the, the, the states that are against the Trump campaign, can they use some of these other cases that have been presided on and introduce that some way, not so much as evidence, but introduce it into the court as record that some of this has been alleged in other states and has been denied and it's not widespread as the president's uh, legal team is alleging? So within the law, there's, there's generally two types of authority. Um, there is persuasive authority and then there's uh, mandatory authority. So the mandatory authority is top down. So it's the Supreme Court, for example, or, you know, uh, a court within a state that's, you know, you have a superior court and then, you know, ruling on the trial court. Um, the precedence and the rulings that that court issues is mandatory and it's binding upon um, the court below. Hmm. Um, then there's such a thing as persuasive authority, which would be an out of score, uh, an out of state judgment, an out of state ruling, things like this. Now that has no legal authority, but it can be used as persuasive authority is called. Uh, to reference, you know, like you can reference it in court uh, to the judge or to an appellate judge. Um, 
but the, the the judge does not have to you know follow it they can they can choose to um use it in their you know in their thought process but there, there's no binding authority there and if there is any binding authority on on you know on a, a judge within a state that would overrule a decision in a different court because you know different states are allowed to have different election laws um then that would take precedence so yes it could be mentioned um but the likelihood of it having uh, any real effect um probably would not because each state in terms of their judicial system operates as if it was its own country to to the extent that you know I'll, to the extent of state law when you get to federal law then there are certain provisions and certain and certain constitutional provisions that would apply to all states but within the state election laws which is generally governed by the states um for the most part um it would have to just be persuasive authority and not binding authority so it would have very little effect in practicality um one of the things that I saw come out earlier today, and this is from the Department of Homeland Security, as well as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, releasing a joint statement. And I want to read you a part of it because uh, there's a legal question at the end of this. Um, the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history, the statement reads. Uh, right now, across the country, election officials are reviewing and double-checking the entire election process prior to finalizing the result. The statement continues, when states have close elections, many will recount ballots. All of the states with close results in the 2020 presidential race have paper records of each vote, allowing the ability to go back and count each ballot if necessary. And now this is an added benefit for security and resilience. This process allows for the identification and correction of any mistakes or errors. The statement has in bold, there is no evidence that any voting system deleted lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. The legal question I have following that statement, uh, Dave, is can this sort of statement from a federal agency, which has uh, President Trump appointees leading it, can this statement in any way be used in any of these uh, lawsuits in these states? Well, first we have to look at so, so, so the bottom line thing is that first we have to look at the burden of proof. Now, the burden of proof in these cases is on the plaintiffs, and it would in in, in these cases it would be on the Trump campaign um, to show that there is evidence of widespread voter fraud or whatever they are alleging in in each of these individual cases. Now, so so the the defense or the government or whoever it is that is counteracting this. Uh, does not have to rebut anything if, if nothing is being provided. Now, if something is provided to show uh, some allegations, yes, it certainly, the, the court could take what's called judicial notice of this. Um, it, it could be used as rebuttal evidence um, to some degree, depending on, de depending on what the evidence that uh, they were trying to get in. But you can't lose sight of the fact that the burden is on uh, these plaintiffs and on the Trump campaign uh, to show that there is some evidence. I mean, within the court of public opinion, you can throw anything out you'd like out there. But once you get into a court of law, 
you do have to show evidence. The burden is, is on the plaintiff to meet uh, their burden. So yes, it, 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 there, is, there are avenues for that kind of thing to get in, uh, but we're a long way from even being able to get to that point uh, because we haven't even seen any evidence that would need to be rebutted by a statement like that. Right. Um, so I have one final question for you, Dave, and appreciate you jumping on here and giving us a few minutes. Um, you, you have been a practicing attorney for a long time now, uh, and you've even worked uh, to a lesser extent with the Jones Day firm. Um, a lot has been made of this firm um, actually representing um, President Trump in, in a bunch of these different uh, suits. Um, I wanted to get your take as an, as a, as an attorney. Um, what uh, advice, if you were working with Jones Day or at Jones Day, um, about taking on cases of this magnitude, one from the client perspective of who it is, but then two from the evidence perspective, like you mentioned earlier, there hasn't been widespread voter fraud um, that has at least been introduced as evidence. Uh, it's been alleged in the court of public opinion, but that's different than the court of law. So um, as, as an attorney, if, if you were working with this firm or, or advising this firm in any way, shape or form, what would you tell them in terms of taking on the case based on its merits? And then also, how do you feel about the backlash that the firm has actually gotten from taking on this case? Um, well, I'm, first of all, I'm confident that Jones Day does not need my advice for any of these things. Um, but uh, if, if they um, were to seek my advice on this, uh, I, I well, the thing that I'd have to say is I am not privy to the evidence that has been presented to them to the extent that any has been. So there could be, um, um, you know, evidence that has been shown to them, a, a, attorney uh, work product that they have seen that, that none of us are privy to, um, which is possible. And if so, and they feel that they have, um, um, you know, a case to be made, uh, then th there should be no problem in them pursuing it. But without any evidence, then they, sh you know, any law firm should not engage in frivolous litigation. Um, but I, you know, I, I can only go based off of the news reports uh, that I see and any information that I get. Uh, and so far, I've seen no evidence presented. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's just, I have not seen any of it. So at this point, I don't know. As far as the backlash goes, um, any, first of all, our, our entire system of jurisprudence relies upon the idea that everybody's entitled to their day in court. And that includes some people that we don't like. I mean, it includes murderers, <laughs> some terrible people sometimes, mm. or, you know, people are accused of those kinds of things. And I'm not saying by any means that <laughs> that this is that, uh, on par with that. In fact, I'm saying this is not on par with that. But it relies upon people being able to uh, hire an attorney. Right. So, uh, you know, people wanting to, you know, have a backlash against a, a firm that's just doing their job, doing their constitutional duty, in fact, um, in representing clients, I, 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 I'm very wary of those kinds of things. That being said, we live in 
we live in the world and I mean, unfortunately these kinds of things happen. I can't speak to the practicality of what people will do or not do, but uh, you know, as an attorney, it does, it does send um, a little bit of a chill down my spine to see, you know, people, it's the wrong target. The, the lawyers uh, should not, you know, and law firms should not be the target of uh, people's animosity uh, towards an individual client. Um, it's just, it's just not how our system was set up and, it, and, and our system can't function. Um, if, if those are the kinds of things that we engage in. Thank you so much for joining the program, Dave. We really appreciate you giving us a, a few minutes here uh, to discuss all of this. Oh, thanks for having me. That was Dave Harbacken, our legal analyst. We thank him for joining us on the Can We Please Talk podcast uh, to give us all the insight from attorney's perspective on all the challenges the Trump campaign is facing. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.